no one will ever remember the trips I didn't take or the meetings that I missed, but the things that are important to you, those people will remember and I will remember. You are the best storyteller of your business. This is a mantra that has guided Shelly Zalis, founder and CEO of The Female Quotient, from her early days of being a chief troublemaker to planning the largest virtual conference in the world. You're about to hear how Shelly is making an impact every day in the business of equality and how she is advancing diversity in the workplace. Coming up, Shelly shares why you need to be the first, second, and third to think of something to really make a difference. The importance of knowing your value and worth. She shares what inspired her to launch the female quotient and her reasoning behind choosing not to raise money. She shares how she pivoted her business during the pandemic, which led to over 700 virtual events. And finally, Shelly talks about the See Her mission and what it means to her. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Shelly, we are so excited to be here with you this afternoon to hear all about your Entrepreneurista journey. We know that the female quotient is not your first business. We'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey as an entrepreneurista and, and how you got started. First of all, so happy to be here. I love the name entrepreneurista. I think it's just genius. So uh, kudos to you. Yes, I have been a serial entrepreneur, not intentionally by default. Um, everything I've ever done, I always say I follow my heart. And you know, a lot of people talk about the cognitive moments or the aha moments. And those are rational kind of moments and they're very textbooky. Um, everything I've done, I've always been the first in building weird weird shit. I don't know if you could say that word, but it is yes. true. And I follow my heart. You know, when your heart is ba-boom, 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 you gotta follow it. It tells you, you know, where you need to go. And um, I've been pretty unscripted my whole life. I have the name Chief Troublemaker. I break all the rules that make no sense and create the new ones. So I, I really started my entrepreneurial journey with a company called OTX, Online Testing Exchange. The name came because it was what it was. You know, in research, which is my background, um, we've always been collecting consumer opinions via telephone or central location, mall intercept. And then when the internet started emerging, I had this idea to migrate research from offline to online. But it was in a day and age where only wealthy old men with broadband connections were on the internet, so hardly a representative population. But I always said to myself, if I'm the first to think of it, there's no way in hell I'm going to be the last to launch it or to succeed. So I've always had a philosophy, you need to be the first, the second, and the third. The first is always the innovator, the pioneer that tries new things, but there's no ecosystem, there's no money, no one believes you're right, it's too early. And so you usually make all the mistakes. The second is the copycat. They come in, they copy everything you've done, but they don't really know what's under the hood. The third is the sweeper. They come in, you've now built an ecosystem, there's chatter, there's buzz, they get the funding and they win. And so I always said, there's no way I'm gonna be the first to think of something 
and the last to launch. So I, I've always been the first, the second, and the third. And that really has always been my motto. But OTX was a business that I launched in 2000. You know, I was the first in the world to pioneer migrating research from offline to online. And it became a very successful company. And you sold OTX to Ipsos back in 2010. Can you share more about this process? For a lot of entrepreneurs, the goal is to exit. So walk us through what that's like. Oh, it was really funny. No one has asked me that question, really. But selling my company was, I think I've sold the same company three times, to be perfectly honest, with three different iterations, because I actually had the idea when I was at ASI, which was my second research job. And then ASI sold to Ipsos, which is pretty funny. And then I ended up leaving ASI pretty much right when Ipsos sold, because I had this idea to pioneer online research. And ASI said, we just got acquired by Ipsos. Our goal was to go global, because ASI was a US market research firm. When they sold to Ipsos, the goal was to take ASI and go global. So they said, our priority is global expansion. We can't focus on online right now. It's too ahead of itself. You know, we have to wait for the right time. This isn't the right time, which is a whole other story of how I got started. I wasn't willing to wait for the right time. I wanted to make it the right time. Um, So I could go back and tell you that. But it was funny. So ASI sold to Ipsos. I left Ipsos to pioneer online research, because for ASI, it wasn't the right time, built a pretty significant company and then sold it to Ipsos, (laughs) which is crazy. (laughs) When I left ASI, I went to Nielsen and built online research at Nielsen. Then I left Nielsen and went to iFilm and built it again, a whole other version of online research. And then iFilm, when I was at iFilm, we sold it to Bob Pittman and Strauss Zelnick. And then from Strauss Zelnick and Bob Pittman, I sold it to Ipsos. So I've been on a, a pretty crazy journey. And when I sold my company to Ipsos, actually, we were about to sell to a private equity firm out of Boston. So with Strauss and Bob, I was going to sell to a company called TA Ventures. But it was right when the, and we had all the terms agreed to. I'm sitting in Hawaii and pretty excited about this deal to go through. And then the market collapses. And so I get a call from TA Ventures saying, we have good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? I said, of course, the good news. They said, well, we're still going to go through with the acquisition at the same you know, price. I said, what's the bad news? They said, I, I asked for $100 million spending money so I could go buy all of these small research technology-enabled companies, put them together and create this holding company model to take on the giants. And they said, we can't give you the spending money right now. And so I said, no deal. I said, I so appreciate the offer, but I really need to amass a lot of companies to, to go forward. So then... A couple of years pass and Ipsos comes to the table and I felt like we really needed to go global because I had such a big presence and a global footprint, but we needed local offices. And so the week of the sale, the week of the sale, my son, who's now 24 years old, was on a traveling hockey team and we were going to Czechoslovakia the week of my sale. 
And I always told my kids, you know, I have a no regret policy. I never want to look back and say shoulda, woulda, coulda. If you've got to live in the moment. And if you're going to feel bad that you miss something, don't, don't miss it. And I would have felt bad not being with him on the trip of his, you know, life for hockey to go with his Czechoslovakian coach to play in Czech. So all of a sudden we're at the airport. I decide I'm going and all these parents have their big duffel bags. And I have my little suitcase with all my business clothes in it. And we're, we go to Czechoslovakia. We're staying in a dorm. I sleep in one room and in the other room, I set it up as an office with a fax machine to do all the transaction. And it was amazing. By day, I commuted to Paris. Ipsos is based in Paris to work on the deal. By night, I was back in the stands because the kids practiced by day and they played at night. By night, I'm in the stands like, go Jake, go team, cheering the loudest so my kid would see I was fully present in my little business suit with my high heels in a hockey ring. And, you know, no one will ever remember the trips I didn't take or the meetings that I missed, but the things that are important to you, those people will remember and I will remember. And so I, I ended up still selling my company. I still made it all happen. I was pretty exhausted commuting, but you make it work. And so that is really the journey of me selling the company. The second thing that I found fascinating was Bob and Strauss, you know, selling to Ipsos. They were like, we're hiring the bankers. They will write the deck, the pitch deck, you know, when we were looking for the right. And they present me the pitch deck. And I looked at them and I'm like, this is not OTX. This, this is so boring. Every page is vanilla. It looks like everybody else's company, not happening. I'm not presenting my company this way with little numbers on a page. I said, there's no wow. There's no excitement and delightment. I want every page to excite and delight because that's the magic of my company. It was a wow factor, you know? And so they got all pissed at me and I didn't care. And they said that I have Sunday night to rewrite it because the presentations were all Monday and I took it and every page excited and delighted and I'm talking things on the pages and I color and I it was vibrant and it was telling the story and you know we ended up having a lot of different offers to acquire the company and you know of course we went with Ipsos and and it was um, history from there. That is such an exciting process and story. And somehow you were able to, to do it all. And I feel like as women, that's what we do. We just make it all happen and, and figure it out as we go along. I'd love to hear a little more about what it was like when you were you know, pitching these different companies that were looking to acquire you. What were some of the things that you maybe learned along the way that women who are thinking about selling their companies should be thinking about ahead of time when they do go to sell? Number one, you are the best storyteller of your business and no one else really can do the same justice because you know i always say when purpose means passion you're unstoppable someone that's created a company built a company you know took it to where it is you got to follow your heart because everyone will tell you it's right it's wrong do this do that the magic is in you and i think you need to bring that and it was not easy for me disagreeing with you know the owners of my company telling them no this is the way it's going to be or i'm not the right leader of this company those are hard hard positions to hold but always follow your heart number 1 you are the best storyteller and you also know how you want to tell the story. Don't let someone else tell you um, how to tell your own story. Number one. Number two, know your value, know your worth. One of the things that when Ipsos acquired me, 
I mean, I told I tell this story because it is just so true. I was then asked, so what kind of compensation do you want? I've sold the company. I knew the terms of the deal. Um, one of the most important things in my contract was that my team, I had 250 employees when I sold. We were doing 60 million in profitable revenue. I said, no one touches my team. I don't want to be you know, acquired. And then you're going to tell me 50% of my team are gone. No one touches my team. And if, if someone, if we need to cut in any way, I'm part of that conversation, you may not touch my team. So those were very important negotiation pieces for me in the deal. So they said to me afterwards, so what kind of compensation do you expect? I said, wow, I have two options. One, I could go out to the marketplace and see what a CEO of a publicly traded company of you know, selling their company should make. I don't think you want me to do that. I said, two, I could go around and talk to the board members of you know, my, my peers at Ipsos of what they're making and come back to you. I don't think you want me to do that. I said, so let's go with option three. I hold you responsible. Just, I, I don't want to pay more. I don't want to be paid less. Just pay me the exact same as other board members and I will be very happy. And so the attorney came back to me and she said, wow, I just want you to know you now have a great package. I said, why? She said, well, I looked at everyone's salaries and some were higher, some were lower. I looked at everyone's bonuses, some were higher, some were lower. I looked at everyone's equity positions, some were higher, some were lower. And you made me feel responsible for you. So I gave you the best of what everyone has. I said, great. If someone gets a raise, can you please let me know? And you know, it was just that way of putting it back on the company. Yeah. Take responsibility, equal pay for equal work. Why is it my responsibility to figure that out? Right. It's not complicated. And so that's exactly what happened. So know your value, know your worth, ask for it, because if you don't, you will get what they give you. And that might not be what you're worth or what your potential is. I think three is I have always created a lifestyle and life stage culture. Um, if you truly want to hire and attract the best talent, you need to accommodate around life stage because at every life stage, people have different needs versus just saying, sorry, this it's one way or the highway. It's, it's going to help you truly attract, retain the best talent and also keep people happy. You know, if they can have a complete full life where work is one element, but not an either or, um, you will see that your business will be much more successful on so many levels. And the fourth is stay you and be you. Don't conform to legacy leadership because legacy leadership perpetuates sameness and status quo. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that legacy leadership is not the best leadership today. The best leaders today are those that have the feminine values, not the female values, the feminine values of empathy and compassion and, and passion and, and nurturing, you know, all of those collaboration and team building and creating that kind of culture that everyone feels seen, heard and comfortable. Those are the best organizations. Those are the best qualities of leaders today. Let's talk more about the female or let's talk about the female quotient. Tell us what inspired you to start. There was no conscious inspiration. It was really, I was the only female CEO, top 25, my entire career in market research. 
I knew I thought differently. I knew I acted differently. Um, pre me starting my own company, it was not rewarded. You know, I actually was standout, you know, and that's how I got chief troublemaker because it just didn't work for me. I'm a mother of three. You know, I, I was a working mom and I did not follow textbook advice because that did not work. I had to follow my heart and, and consistently bring me to the table. And I did not, I was not surrounded by women that supported other women. I did not have the female role model of doing it all, having a family and a career and rising the ranks. You know, it was either the women that chose the either or, or if they choose chose the and they had, you know, tremendous guilt and, you know, all of the imposter syndrome, you know, that's a whole other conversation. And so I had to really be, you know, who I was my whole career. And so I just realized after I sold my company to Ipsos, once again, I was in the boys club, you know, two women out of 25 at the table. And I, I, I remember once being pulled aside at a board meeting at the board meeting, we were talking about the integration of OTX and like my, my team, my people were all numbers. This person goes here, this person goes here, this person goes here. And I remember saying in the board meeting and tears came down my eyes as I was saying, it, I said, but they don't fit there. That's not who they are. That's not where they belong. They're not going to thrive, you know, in that role. And then after the meeting, I was pulled aside and I was told there's no room for emotion in the boardroom. This is not an emotional conversation. This is business. And I remember at that time I had two choices, agree or do what I did, which was give a speech to thousands the next week. I had you know, a keynote speech and it was called bring, and I called it bring emotion to the boardroom and the power of emotion and never underestimate the power of emotion. And um, I decided from that day on, I, I need to be who I am. I don't care where I am and what the, the company culture is or what the legacy rules are. I need to lead with authenticity and consistently being me. You can fake it once, you can fake it twice, but you can't fake it consistently. And so my contract at Ipsos was for five years, which I've honored. And, you know, we did great things at Ipsos and Ipsos is a remarkable company, but I wanted to be in charge again. I wanted to lead and I wanted to help other women find their voice and their power and their individuality and their differences, you know, encouraging them to understand their differences are their greatest strength. And so while I was at Ipsos, I started something called the Girls' Lounge. It was because I wanted to go to CES. I heard there was 150,000 people, less than 3% were women. I knew as a researcher, I didn't know anyone in technology, even though I was a technology-enabled researcher, but I always went to research conferences. Put me at a research conference, I know a lot of people had been in market research for over 35 years, a really long time. Put me in technology, I don't really know anyone. And I didn't want to walk the floor by myself. So I decided to invite a few women to go with me. I called them up and I said, come with me to CES. And if you, if you know other women, invite them. And of course, 24 hours later, 50 women showed up. And two remarkable things happened. And you can't make this shit up. It, it just happened. One we walked the floor as a pack. Every guy, their heads turned like, where the heck did all you women come from? <laughs> and that's when we coined the phrase power of the pack. A woman alone is power. Collectively, we create the changes that we want to see. 
collectively we have influence. And that was this important moment. And the second was I was surrounded by women with the same challenges I had, work-life balance, imposter syndrome. How do you know your value? How do you find your worth? How do you be you? You know, all of those things. And the next day, 50 turned to 100. The next day, 100 turned to 350. We went from hanging out in my king-size bedroom to the penthouse suite, getting our hair and makeup done. More business was done in the lounge. If there's a boys club, now there's a girls lounge, opposite a boy is girl, opposite a club is lounge, and the girls lounge was born. And so I launched it while I was at Ipsos, and it was incredible. We started creating these pop-up spaces so that women would feel safe and secure and have a, a posse, a pack, a network. More business was done. Uh, the confidence was growing. I mean, it was really remarkable. And then I left Ipsos after my five-year anniversary to really take the girls out to the next level because I started feeling the the amplification effect the multiplication effect the confidence effect like all these things going through the roof and um and then the girls lounge became the equality lounge we've connected over fifty thousand women globally across the board women supporting other women in the workplace then i realized that's great to have a great network which we continuously build the network of women supporting women but if we want to create two true change we can't just change the equation with visibility of women across every equation we also need to close the gaps and to close the gaps we need it to be conscious leaders not women men or women i don't care if you are a leader and you have the power to create change and close the gaps we want to hear from you and we want you to be part of the community and so Part one is changing the equation. Part two is closing the gaps, um, parity policy pipeline. And so that is how the female quotient emerged. Uh, the female quotient truly is in the business of equality, changing the equation and closing the gaps. You're incredible, Shelly. I love hearing your story and all of your tips for women. It's really incredible. Because it's true. Like, yeah. you know, that's why I'm a great coach because I don't do coaching for a living, but I do, because I was that woman that felt invisible at, you know, I went to Can Lions and to break research into marketing and all the key CMOs, I mean, the research is the bottom of the totem pole. They're not going to welcome you and invite you to the exclusive parties and to the places where real deals get done. You know, I wasn't in the room where it happens. And and that's a problem. And I remember walking on the closette back to my room thinking like, I'm never gonna break into marketing by showing up at these conferences with hundreds of thousands of people as a nobody, you know? And that's why I created this space because I have been there. I felt lonely. I felt like, you know, no one is gonna let me in. I can't just break into a circle of all men saying, hello, I'm Shelly's house. I'm, I'm, I'm a research, market researcher. You need to know me. Really? I don't think so. Next up, you'll hear about the early days of the female quotient and why equality never sleeps. I want to hear more about when you first started the girls lounge. I know it's the equality lounge now, but when you realize, okay, I'm going to start this to, to break through and give women this space, but then you also were turning it into a business. What was that initial business model and how has it evolved over time? Because I know you bootstrapped this business. You didn't raise any funding. Well, I made a conscious decision not to raise money. And, you know, I made that decision because I have had owners before as an entrepreneur. And, you know, that, that, that taught me a lot about business and, 
and how to deliver bottom line performance and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. EBITDA, like, you know, I understood what EBITDA was and ROI and, you know, because I've always built business from my heart. I do not have an MBA. The best MBA for me is real life experience. When I left Ipsos, I just thought, you know, the girls lounge is, I thought I was sort of retired, you know, even though I don't really know what that word is, but I left the corporate world and I decided this is my give back. I just want to help women rise the ranks and live their best selves and bring their best selves to the table and, and give the real life experience advice um, from someone who's been there, done that across the board. And so when I started the Girls' Engine left Ipsos, I had a $2 million overhead at the time because the Girls' Engine was getting really big. And I remember saying to DDA Trucheau, who's an amazing supporter, I said, DDA, listen, it would be amazing if you would give me $500,000. Ipsos will continue to be a sponsor um, so that it will help me a little bit towards the $2 million overhead because we had CAN coming up, all these things, and now I'm taking it on. And so DDA did um, agree because we launched the Girls' Lounge at Ipsos and, and Ipsos was incredible for the couple of years that we ran it through Ipsos. So he did, he gave me the keys to the Girls' Lounge and $500,000 over two years. And so that sort of defined the business model of 250 because if he gave me 250, I needed to obey the contractual. So all of the women from big corporations that benefited from being in the Girls' Lounge they all supported the Girls' Lounge for Growth, which is how we found the funding. And I put $3 million of my own in um, to support the Girls' Lounge because it really was a give-back organization. It wasn't a business. Um, and I remember setting it up as TFQ Ventures. So I set the company up as TFQ Ventures. I knew one day I'd want to call it the Female Quotient. But first year, we had no funding to pay the bills I didn't have all of the partners at the beginning. I did put our own money in, but I had two pieces of TFQ Ventures. And this was conscious. One piece was the Girls' Lounge, which I knew I was going to continue to support somehow um, with a $2 million overhead. And the other piece, I set up a research company called Context. It was more of a consulting company. And the consulting company was my side hustle to pay the bills for the girls' lounge. So between my side hustle and my investment in the girls' lounge, the girls' lounge grew and flourished. So I helped it get through its period. And, you know, it was a bleeder, right? Like it just was taking the money because it was all out-of-pocket expenses to create these spaces. And then after about two years we made a very conscious decision that all of our partners were coming in. It really is a collaborative model. I no longer had to do research. I no longer had to keep the side hustle going. And we were going to focus on the Girls' Lounge. And so that's when we came out. The Girls' Lounge is now part of the female quotient. We got rid of TFQ Ventures because I didn't have to have a, a neutral name for research because we weren't doing research just for equality. We were doing research to pay the bills for the Girls' Lounge. Once we decided we're all in with, you know, changing the equation for women, we put the female quotient name up. We got rid of TFQ Ventures. We created the short abbreviation, the FQ, because I wanted FQ instead of T. I wanted FQ to stand out. First came IQ, the intelligence quotient. Then came EQ, the emotional quotient. Now comes 
FQ, the female quotient, bam, we're out. And so that's really what happened. And then we decided the girls lounge needs to evolve to the equality lounge because we want conscious leaders, men and women to come together. And so we had a whole strategy of how we start connecting the FQ to the equality lounge. So we started just eliminating the word girl. And it was really interesting because at the beginning with the girls lounge, a lot of women, especially women in finance said, but we're not girls, we're women. And I said, have you ever heard of a man object to being a boy in the boys club? That's a really good point. Never. I said, and by the way, a ladies lounge sounds like a bathroom. A women's lounge sounds really boring. Um, the girls lounge, it was edgy. It was fun. We created a little trouble along the way. It was like awesome. We were like, you know, and it, it stood out and we owned it. And now, I mean, all the women, I mean, all the financial you know, organizations were all one big pack we're all in this together. People miss the girls lounge. You know, I do too, that name, but the equality lounge is really who we are today. We are in the business of equality. So that's how we moved from just the girls lounge to the equality lounge. And now the female quotient portfolio has expanded exponentially to be, you know, not only solutions for creating the largest global community of women in the workplace, the largest collaborative community of conscious leaders, but also really creating the solutions for closing the gaps. How did the business model change over, over time? So you have, you had the girls lounge, now you have the equity lounge and what other offerings do you provide women? Yeah. So COVID has been really a very interesting moment for us because we made a conscious decision that um, we have to pivot day one. Equality never sleeps and the conversations need to continue and the actions in particular um, must take place because we know that during COVID we've set ourselves back from, you know, the original numbers of 257 years to close the pay gap and 99.5 years to close the C-suite gap. We added another 25 years as, as a result of COVID, which is a big conversation that I'm happy to have. But we had to pivot. So pre-COVID, we were doing 70 pop-up lounges a year at big industry conferences. And, you know, we made a conscious decision to be in every equation in marketing, media, advertising, research, technology, finance, world leadership, music, television, film, sports, across the board. So we were doing 70 pop-ups a year and our business was 90% a quality lounge. I was at one of your pop-up lounges right before COVID happened. It was January, 2020. I think it was the NRF show in New York City. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. was there, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So yeah, NRF, great organization for us. So retail, you know, very much in retail. And then when COVID hit, you know, what are we gonna do? And so we migrated overnight to virtual. So within a second, and I really do, you know, Talia Bender, our president, really just said, Shelly, we're gonna learn virtual. And, you know, we're a tiny little company. We're 24 full-time people. And we made a very conscious, and I'm gonna keep using that word because it was a bad intention. We intentionally decided no person left behind in COVID. And even if, you know, half of my team is a traveling in real life team. We all had to learn new skills. And so we all became Zoom experts. And our experience team, that was our experience team for, for physical, became the experience team for virtual. They became Zoom experts. 
uh, trial, you know, <laughs> whatever. We just went with it. And since COVID, I think we've held over 700 virtual lounges with over 8,500 speakers. Uh, we teach Zoom their tricks now too. Um, we decided not to go kitschy with little avatars saying hello to people. We just wanted the conversations to continue. All of our partners so generously have stayed with us, are all part of the conversation, are definitely the champions for action that need to take place. And that is how we pivoted from in real life to in virtual life. We also have now launched in audio life. So as we're going back to real life, we will be omnimedia. We will be multicasting in real life, in virtual life, in audio life simultaneously. Um, and so as a result of that, we have gotten very global. We've always had a global footprint because of the conferences that we go to, but now we truly have global access. And you know, we get calls from women in India and women in Kenya and women in Islamabad and women in Saudi Arabia and women in London and France and, and Hong Kong and, and Beijing that just really thank us for keeping the conversations top of mind and the actions with accountability in place. And so that's been amazing. And then we said, well, if we're building this global community through our lounges, we decided with virtual to launch a global packed dinner party. And so we decided to unite the world through the power of women in over a hundred countries. We broke the region, the world into six regions, 10 countries per region. It's pay it forward, it's a multiplier effect. So we invite 25 women per country. So if it's Latin America, 25 women in Brazil, those women become hosts. They pay it forward times 10, 250 women, 250 times 10 countries, 2,500 women for the regional dinner. At the end of the regional dinner times 10, 25,000 times six, 150,000. And so this is really the Global Pack Dinner. We've done 39 countries already. It's been remarkable uh, bringing women together and we don't need to eat. It's not about that. It's about a seat at the table and it's about a dinner conversation of trust and friendship. And so these women all get to know one another. You know, we always say if the table's not big enough, make it bigger. If there's no seat at the table, pull up a chair. If there's no chair, sit on a lap and share a plate. You can each have your own fork, but that's just what we do. And, you know, there's, there's always room at the table. And then, you know, we, we are about to launch um, the largest global conference in the world based on the dinner party, um, making sure it will be virtual. It will be hybrid, physical and virtual. We work just gave us 550 spaces around the globe. Uh, UN Women will be our partner, giving us um, spaces in marginalized communities so that all women will have access to the content. And then the mothership will beam out the content with local communities um, being able to customize accordingly. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. And then the second thing that we've expanded exponentially in COVID is closing the gap solutions with toolkits that help conscious leaders assess where they are, parity policy pipeline, and then where they want to be. And then we do boot camps to help you get there. They're mix and match modules from racial justice to gender equity to financial literacy to vendor reviews to ensure you know that diversity and equity is at the heart of, of what you do. Um, and then research and statistics of, of why it matters. So we've expanded the portfolio exponentially in 15 months. 
I am just in awe of everything that you're doing. And I'm so glad that we're able to talk to you today because your mission is so aligned with what Stephanie and I are doing uh, with entrepreneurs and also with Social Fly. At Social Fly, we're on a mission to make women feel genuinely seen and heard by brands and and change the way brands are communicating to women, which I know you're a co-founder of the hashtag see her movement led by ANA and social flies, a member of ANA, and you want to increase the portrayal of women and girls in advertising and media, which social fly is 100% on board with. Uh, can you share more about that? It's been really amazing because as part of the female quotient, we brought all of our women, all of our partners from Fortune 500 to the White House quite a bit to work with Megan Smith, the former chief technology officer of the White House and the Obama administration to bring in more visibility of girls in STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. We now have the A, STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math to the table. And Megan is just an amazing champion for women and visibility of women, especially in tech, but she's just a badass all around. Um, I love you, Megan, if you're listening. Um, and so, you know, she's been amazing. So we, we spent a lot of time in the White House really working on that. And then we spent um, a lot of time getting women with Rosie Rios, the former treasurer of the United States, um, getting women on the $20 bill. And um, we, we did a lot around that. And so we, Gail Tifford and Patty Kerr, who are co-founders also of See Her, um, we were at the Makers Conference and we were sitting around saying, well, gosh, how do we, we know that media defines culture, culture creates change, change leads to the impact that we want to see. Visibility of women, especially in media and entertainment is so incredibly important. And yet, you know, we, we don't see women in professional roles. We don't see women with sense of humor. We, we don't see women that are leading the way, like why? And this is just not a great representational reflection, not in a positive way, but in an accurate, realistic way of portraying girls and women for who we truly are. And so we thought, let's create this movement. And, you know, we heard the phrase, if you could see it, you could be it. I don't want to be an it. If you can see her, you can be her. Oh, my God, see her. And so we thought, how do we really take this, this movement and get brands, brands control the dollars in media spend? and make them conscious to do the right thing and, and very consciously create the right advertisements, create the right programs that they advertise in. Um, and so we thought the best way to go is with the ANA, the Association of National Advertisers. We brought the idea to Bob Leodis, the CEO. It was yes at hello. I mean, he was so obsessed with the idea. And now, you know, it was one-stop shopping to get all the CMOs to embrace it. Um, and we brought it to the White House. We launched at the White House. It became a very big initiative. And we just celebrated our five-year anniversary of See Her. The impact has been enormous. We have given See Her awards at the Critics' Choice Award um, and at the Sports Awards, you know, a, a music awards across the board. We've launched See Her, See Her, Hear Her, See Her in Sports, See, see Her Everywhere, which is completely aligned with the female quotient when See Her is truly our movement outside in. It's truly B2C. How do we bring this to consumer awareness and visibility? And then the female quotient inside out, how do we also get brands to not only showcase their purpose on the outside, but you got to walk the talk on the inside too. So both pieces come together. See Her is an ANAFQ movement. 
And it really is impacting change. And we created the JAM score, the gender equality measure. So I'm back to research again. I thought I was retired from Can't get out. research. <laughs> you can't take research out of the girl. And so I'm, we're back. We created the, the JAM score. It's become an industry standard. And now everyone uses it to measure their advertising, not only for persuasion, relevance, likability, purchase intent, but also now to measure, you know, equality. So that's what happened. Yes, I, I agree. I, I actually don't know how to do one thing at a time. I have to be doing at least two or three things at the same time. Up next, Shelly shares the most thoughtful gift she has ever received. Plus, what's next for the female quotient? All right, Shelly, this is a fun new segment we've been doing, Rapid Fire Q&A. So we're going to ask you a few quick questions. And the first thing that comes to your mind, are you ready? Okay. All right. Describe yourself in three words. Uh, chief troublemaker. Perfect. <laughs> if you could learn one new skill, what would it be? Something digital. Maybe Instagram, how to... We can teach you that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll I'll share the Instagram that. tips. Yeah. <laughs> what is your most used emoji when you send a text? A happy face, uh, you know, colon, the thing, like a happy face. What's the app on your phone that you can't live without? Oh, this is supposed to be rapid fire. Uh, <laughs> I think Netflix. Ah, Ooh. no one said that yet. What's your favorite Netflix show? I I'm a binge watcher. So I, I watch pretty much everything. And I even accept the recommendations that come and I watch them. I love action kind of shows. I mean, I watch everything when, when people need to know what to watch, I'm the go-to call. That is good to know. I'm going to send you a DM on Instagram and ask you the next time. <laughs> I have a long list for you. What is your favorite tech or business solution that's helped you grow your business? I think Instagram and LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Do you have a hidden talent? I think my, my hidden talent is getting a yes. I can always get a yes. There's always a solution. I, I know how to get a yes. Well, we're going to ask you some of those questions on how to get to it in just a moment. But finally, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Well, I think I'd like to fly. And I'd also like to be in three places at the same time. That has definitely been a common theme that we've heard. And we think it's because we're all type A and want to be able to do more than one thing at a time and get places quickly. <laughs> but I still have dreams of being able to fly. Like I, I do have dreams that I could jump off a building and yeah. fly. Have you ever gone skydiving? Well, I've watched my kids skydive, which <laughs> scared the heck out of me. <laughs> Would you do it? I don't think so. We chase total solar eclipses. So I travel the world chasing total solar eclipses. And I do love the miracles of life. You know, I, I really, I, I find them just remarkable. Same when I went to see, on a safari, just to see how nature works and that there is this hierarchy in life, but everything has a reason, which I find remarkable. I actually received the best, most thoughtful gift ever from someone that works with me. Her name is Heather. And so Heather, I, I just have to call it this out because it was so beautiful what you gave me. My father passed me, rest in peace, a couple of years ago. And because I chased total solar eclipses, she sent me for my birthday, a star, which is in the sky, which is called Chief Troublemaker. 
And then she sent me another star for my father called Chief Stargazer. And we are next to each other in the sky. Wow. And I thought that was the most thoughtful gift I've ever received. And I know that's not a question you asked me, but I just want to share that because it really, um, it's about the magic and it's about the synchronicity and right time, right place, right energy force. And, and then I kept starting hearing words about stars. Like I interviewed a Paralympian named Ezra Fresh and he was born without a left leg and with a left hand with one finger and now his thumb is, is his toe, his toe is his thumb. And he said his family's motto is without darkness, there'd be no stars. And I thought that was so incredibly beautiful, you know, how nature works and, and how everything has a reason. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't answering any of your questions, but you made me No, it's that. so beautiful. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I definitely believe the same thing. Everything does, does happen for a reason and finding the purpose behind things and why things are meant to be. And, you know, there's a reason we're all connected right now and we were brought together. And I think so much of life is about connection and community and, and finding those finding those special moments and and answers. So thank you for sharing that story. So before we started our recording today, I want to share with our audience, we were chatting about some best Zoom tips and practices now that so many of us are working remotely and recording podcasts like this. And you had some really great tips to share. Shelly, can you share some of those Secret Shelly tips. <laughs> Shelly tips that are not so secret. I, I'm also a really good packer, so I can Ooh. do packing tips for you too. So Zoom tips, really number one, because the camera's up there, but we like to, especially as women, talk to each other, which is the power of Zoom. I love to see your face. So if you're, if I'm on the top tile and you're below me, then I'm in here, just watch. I'm going to move it. So if I'm on the top and you're on the bottom on my screen, I'm looking down because I want to talk to you, but you can see my eyes are down versus if I put it like that, my eyes just went up because I'm looking up at you. So that's tip one, just move your box so that whoever you're speaking to is above you, right? And if there's like 25 people on the screen, I move myself actually as low down as I can. So I'm looking up as high as I could go. That's number one. Number two, you know, Stephanie, we discussed this, is if you are the moderator and you have questions, you had them on another screen. So watch what happens. First, I'm gonna make sure I look good for Zoom. And then if I look this way to see the other screen, you see my head turning. So, right? Yeah. But if you get rid of your second screen, takes up room on the table and it's distracting, move your copy and put it above your Zoom up here, then I'm looking up at the questions. So I'm back to eye level, which looks like I'm looking at you. And then it's one-stop shopping. You're good to go. Any other remote working tips you can share that have worked for your team, especially over the past year? Um, I am not a fan of screen backgrounds because you, you look liquid in them, you know? Like, see, when Courtney's moving. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. so like, it doesn't feel real. So like you want, and by the way, you're covering social fly. 
I know I got to move it a little bit more that way. Just scoot your chair. Well, there's a, there's a whole setup here that you, I'll show you after that will um, blow your mind. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, actually this is, you're right. That's all you have to do. Now move your mic to you. Okay. So now watch this trick. So I made, when I I have my unscripted series, Ah. I just made it a little thing so that I don't need to have a backdrop like you. Yeah, that's smart. Right? And so, you know, that's tip one. Tip two, this office was my husband's home office. And he's a butt doctor. He's a colorectal surgeon. And it didn't feel like me. So I moved him out, turned it into mine. And um, he just only gets it on weekends. And he knows he has to keep it nice and clean. Because <laughs> So I, I think make your background you, because I think it's kind of nice that people can know who you are, you know, personally. I think that's a, a benefit. Um, I think that that's great. And uh, other tips. I, I think that, you know, on the video, you have uh, choices of how you want your video settings and, you know, use them to your advantage. That always helps too. Yeah, Stephanie and I invented these uh, fun cards that you can use in your Zoom meeting. So I love get them. You please start using them and give us some feedback on if they're working to make your meetings more engaging and fun. But you created those because we we love those. Yeah, we created them. We invented them. They're available on hellodigicards.com. We can customize them for your team. We can put any quote on it. I'm obsessed with this. Okay, so I want to talk to you right after and place a custom order. Okay, good, great. I am so excited about this. Yeah, we can do anything you need. So I want to actually ask you something that you talked about earlier about how great you are at getting to a yes. What tips do you have for for people that you know are putting themselves out there, maybe pitching an investor or pitching a prospective client and they get here a no? What do you do in those moments? Yeah, listen, all you need is one yes. You know, you could get a lot of no's and, you know, hopefully the no's are on the ones that aren't as meaningful because when you get the yes, it's going to be the, the right person that totally gets it. And so I always say there's a, there's always a solution. You just have to find it. And I can guarantee it's not in a textbook. And so if you actually listen to here, there's always a value proposition. So when I launched OTX, pioneering online research, I decided, you know, and I come from consumer packaged goods, That was my whole career. But I decided that the movie business, if I could crack testing movie trailers and movie commercials, I could do packaged goods from room to tomb, like no big deal. So I decided I'm going to go into an industry I know nothing about. Um, There was only one person that owned market research for movies. His name was Joe Farrell. His company was called NRG. He was the godfather of every studio chief's children. And there was, it was an impenetrable business. I thought, you know what, I'm going to break into this business because if I could test movies, trailers, which you, you know, would get 30 iterations on a Friday night, you needed to test and have all the data by Monday morning. If I could work with the hardest common denominator, I could do anything from there. And so I went to the head of research for Warner Brothers. I did not know anybody. Knocked on his door and um, I had one one shot to get a yes. And I said to him, you know, I'm Shelly Zalas. I'm pioneering online research for the movie industry. I know nothing about movie research, but I have a crazy idea. 
I said, are you completely satisfied with how you do research today? And it was Mall Intercept. And he looked at me and he said, of course not. Who's ever completely satisfied with anything? And that was my opening. I said, great, let's go together. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but let's take everything you've tested offline, Mall Intercept, parallel it online, create a collaboration, and I can calibrate the scores and let's see what happens. And that is truly how OTX got started, was that yes. And the other thing that you know, I had a lot of challenges and it's why no one else was able to break through because it was impossible. Joe Farrell had contractual agreements with every studio that he was the exclusive market researcher for the entertainment business, exclusive. They signed exclusive contracts for mall intercept research. Well, there was my loophole. I wasn't mall, I was online. So by finding the one word, we were able to go together to pioneer online research because they weren't violating a contract because the contract was exclusive for mall intercept research. And I came in with online. So there's always a yes, you just have to find it. And it might not be that obvious, but the truth is it's, it's glaring right there. And that's if you actually listen to hear and find the value proposition, not a replacement. No one was going to replace with online because we failed until we succeeded, right? And so we parallel tested so that they didn't have to depend on my data because I, I didn't feel comfortable. And until the day I said, I feel comfortable, you can turn that switch off now. You can turn this new one on. That's really how I started OTX. Wow. That is such incredible advice. And Shelly, I think we could sit here and chat for hours and hours and hours. And I think we might have to have a follow-up episode or we'll do it. We'll do another LinkedIn live or Instagram live to, to keep the questions going. My final question for you today is what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Believing in you. You know, I, I really, Oscar Wilde says, be yourself because everyone else is taken. And I said, be you because that's what makes the world go around. That's what makes um, an I a we. Uh, we all bring value to the table and it's the complementary values that create the change, create the success. Uh, so believe in you because you don't, if you don't believe in you, then no one else will. That is so true. Shelly, thank you so much for sharing your story and journey. Where can everyone find you and follow you? At Shelly Zalas, at Female Quotient, uh, thefemalequotient.com, on LinkedIn. I mean, I think we're, we're pretty much um, easy to find. Yes, and we will be linking everything out in the show notes below and also on social, and we'll be tagging you everywhere. Thank you so much for being here, Shelly. I'm Stephanie. I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there.
wishing you a productive week ahead.